Thank you for having me back at not CTR Church. This week it's Christ the Redeemer Church. I mean, of all weeks, this is the week we should be calling it Christ the Redeemer Church. It is a great blessing to be here. It is a joyous occasion for me. This was beautiful. Um, I hope it is a joyous occasion for you to be back in the house of God for Holy Week. Our God is merciful, and this is His desire. He wants to gather us in His house. He wants us to worship with sincerity and open hearts. He wants us to study, to see, to walk, to embrace, to love His great acts of love. He wants us to be enamored by our Savior. It's been a while, and I don't know, but it has been for me and for many a difficult time not being at church, being stuck at our homes. It's caused us to be distanced from church, and sadly, for many of us, we've been drifting away from God. So here we are in the final week of Lent, in the Holy Week, in the final stretch. We're hoping, we're praying that somehow God will work something in us this week, that He will draw us close. Actually, that's always been his goal. He's never stopped trying to draw us close, even when we were at home. He never gave up, and he never will. There's nothing that you will ever do that could get him to stop pursuing you. And this isn't his first time. He did this with Israel over and over and over. Even on a day that we celebrated today, Palm Sunday, that after gathering in a temple and everyone was praising, and you guys are in the synagogue, right? And praising, pretty similar, praising our Lord Jesus Christ. And after riding through the Jerusalem, the Bible tells us this in the Gospel of Luke. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. There's another verse that I think is, is related. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling he said, I tried so many times to draw you close. It was for your peace. But then he says those words that are very biting. He says, I tried, but you were not willing. To be honest, that's going to be a theme that you're going to see throughout this week. This theme of people being unwilling. It happens from the very first story in the Bible when Adam and Eve, they only had one commandment, just one commandment to follow. Just don't eat of that tree. I mean, they had great communion with God. And you would think it would be easy, but there came a moment where they said, I'm unwilling to obey what he says. Then in the days of Noah, there's a warning to the people around, but they wouldn't heed the word. And you're going to hear prophecy after prophecy and one of the prophecies of earlier today. You didn't heed my word. It would have been for you like a river of righteousness. You didn't heed my command. You were not willing. With hardness of heart, the people, they just wouldn't turn to God. One of the parables that Jesus Christ is going to say when he's teaching in the temple during the Holy Week, he says there's a man who had two sons. One said with his mouth, I will obey you, 
but he didn't. Then the other said, I'm not going to do it, but he did. Which one pleased the father? The one who actually obeyed. The irony in all of this is that what we say over and over this week, as we chant with great enthusiasm, with very great harmony in this church, you guys sound beautiful, Thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, the majesty. And then alternatively, our Father prayer, right? Over and over, hundreds of times in one week. Possibly one of the most important phrases you will ever utter is said in that prayer. Are, are you listening? One of the most important phrases you might ever say in your life, when it's said from the heart, Thy will be done. Again, there was this theme of unwillingness. And you're saying over and over, hundreds of times this week, thy will be done. Sometimes, believe it or not, it's just from your mouth. It sometimes never drops into or comes from our hearts. And not only when you say thy will be done could be great, but I would say in the history of all mankind, Possibly the greatest phrase ever uttered in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ was in agony and his soul was sorrowful unto death. He uttered these words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. fully aware of what was going to befall him to the most minute detail. And after saying, let this cup pass from me, what if he had stopped there? What if he said, let this cup pass from me? Thank God he didn't stop there. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. How pleasant was that to the Father? And how pleasant is that to your ears? That he didn't just say it, but that he followed through with it. Actually, that should be the theme of this week. Not my will, but thy will be done. I would imagine that that is the sign of the greatest love. For those of you who are married, try and say it to your spouse. Not what I want. It's all about what you want. All the wives are smiling. But when Christ said it, I couldn't imagine a more intense situation. Rejection, betrayal, loneliness. He's awaiting a humiliating, excruciatingly painful death at the hands of those who created, the ones he came to save, what would your feelings be like if the ones that you were going to die on behalf of, the ones whom you love, were so eager to put you to death in a miserable way? It sounds like a terrible situation. And in that situation, you say, I submit myself to your will. I yield unto you. 
I want what makes you happy, Father. What puts a smile on your face? The extremeness of the situation makes that statement all the more pleasing. To choose God over self in the most dire of circumstances. But I want to ask you, if you were in that difficult situation, knowing what would happen, what would you have prayed? Would it have been the same prayer? Father, let this pass. Not my will, but thy will? Or would you have said it differently? Dad, it's been good, but, but this isn't working for me. Uh, I don't feel like doing this anymore. I can't. I won't. Why don't you ask me about what I want? Isn't that part of the conversation? No. No. Me. Mine. No. Me, mine, for those of you who are parents or have spent any time with little children, those three words drive you crazy. So many of us are stuck spiritually in the terrible twos. You can only imagine what God feels when he hears us always praying that. Christ set for us the greatest example of conduct in the midst of extreme temptation, of mental conflict, of overwhelming anxiety. He was an example in action, in speech, and in purpose. To me, I think this is one of the greatest heights of spirituality. To say this with complete understanding and intention, Thy will be done. Absolute surrender If you can say, thy will be done from your heart, I don't think there could be anything more pleasing to God. And so, we've already prayed it about 50 times. It's going to be prayed hundreds, if not thousands more, throughout our lives and throughout this week. I want to ask you, how many times have you really meant it? Are we kind of like the people that we read about that pay lip service to our God but never show any sense of commitment? That we just say, oh yeah, thy will be done. Sometimes in our own prayer, outside of Holy Week, when you're praying, what are you praying for? Oftentimes you're praying for your will. There are times we do pray for God's will. There are times we say, God... Your will be done. Then what happens? We get upset when we don't get what we want. Don't you agree? When was the last time you prayed for someone with an illness that you thought would be healed because of the abundance of the prayers and they weren't? You prayed for God's will, but you never really accepted it. What about other difficult situations where there's a relationship that you wanted to work a career move, an increase in wages, some disappointment where you prayed and you didn't get what you wanted. But you really prayed hard. Like, really hard. But you got angry at God. And you might have even said, God, why didn't you? And you want to know what you said at the end of your prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done. Oftentimes, when we're looking at wills, What we're saying is, God, I'm going to tell you your will and how I want it done, right? And then we get upset if he disobeys us. 
How backwards does that sound? Or is that the reality? How are we looking at wills? Doesn't it make more sense to choose God's over ours? Let's look at this. God's will versus yours. Why, why should we choose His will? I mean, well, you guys keep saying this thing over and over. Thine is the power and the glory and the blessing and the majesty. You guys keep saying it. Wouldn't you care about His opinion and what He thinks? I mean, then we're going to add this other word like God is love. So here, you're powerful, you're full of glory, you're full of blessing, you're full of majesty, and you are love. He sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He sees next week. He knows you. He knows the people you know. He knows the people you don't know. He knows what you will do, what they will do. He knows what the earth is going to do, what virus is going to come. He knows whatever is going to happen. And not only does he know it, it's one thing to know it, but you know what else? He actually has the power to control them. He has that power. So when you say, thine is the power... And it really struck me today. When you're saying, and you have some situation in your life, and you're saying, thine is the power, mean it. He really cares about what happens to you. Those are some of his qualities. What are your qualities? His will, your will. Weakness, okay, check. Prone to sin, okay. Sickness, okay, uh, I can't control myself, okay? I can't control my surroundings very often. I have very little authority, very little glory, very little blessings that I bestow on anyone. Uh, no majesty at all. And you think you know yourself as much as God does. Who would you choose based on those? Well, forget, forget those qualities. Okay? Let's just look at experience. How many lives have you guys run before this one? Probably not many. But God, billions of people, trillions of creatures, jillions of stars and planets, He tells the sun where to hide until morning. He tells the stars where to shine, when to shine, how bright to shine. The birds don't die of hunger. Somehow God works the lives of all the insects. It might stink to be a worm because God's preparing you to feed the birds. You know how many birds there are on the earth at any one time? Me neither. But God does. And He takes care of them. He's got a pretty good track record. God is perfect. Never a mistake. You know, you might think you know yourself and you think you know what is best, but you don't. Not as much as God knows you. As much as God knows what is best. And if you think about it, your will centers around who? You. Your will, let me say my will, is selfish most of the time. Do you think everyone should follow their own will? Or just you? I mean, should it just be you? I mean, what if everyone followed their own will? Uh, I don't want to go there. It would look ugly. From a logical point of view, hopefully based on the very short argument I made, it makes sense to choose God's will. But what are our issues with choosing God's will? Why do we have such a problem with it? His will 
doesn't always look comfortable or pleasing. I mean, ask Jesus Christ on Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and maybe for us, too, it doesn't always look comfortable or pleasing. It's not always to forgive first. It's not always easy to apologize first. Or to love when you are not being loved. To give to others when you're trying to save for yourself. To show mercy when you're angry. Not to judge, but it makes you feel better about yourself. Well, what if, I mean, besides not doing what is good, when you know what is the good thing? The good thing is God's will. Well, what if there's something He asks you to let go of, and you know it's His will to let go of it? You know that thing that's been gnawing on your conscience? It reveals itself in your confessions every time, and maybe after a while it stops showing up in your confessions, not because it's not happening, but it's almost like it, it just is. You know the habit sometimes that we try to hide? The one that leads you to guilt, that tears you away from Christ, sometimes hurts your family. Maybe there's an idol in your life that we are chasing. The next financial jackpot, the next Bitcoin bullish run, the approval of the people around you, the non-stop shopping and acquiring things for ourselves and our kids, the endless search on Facebook. You guys are, you're not Instagrammers, you guys are more Facebook, you older guys. You're looking for the next thing to make you laugh or gossip or make you angry. You're just looking for something to pass the time. And you know, when it comes down to it, you know in certain situations, you know what God's will is and we just don't want it. Why? Maybe we just don't care about God that much. Let's call it what it is. St. Ignatius, he says, why does our soul rebel against God's will and allowances? Because we haven't revered God as God. Sometimes we haven't let God take control because we haven't understood that God is God. We are not God. He's God. Maybe we just don't trust Him that much. Maybe sometimes we need to know all the details. We don't like not knowing what's happening tomorrow. How annoying is it to have a passenger that you're driving somewhere and they don't know the directions? They keep asking you questions about every turn. It drives you crazy, right, men? They don't know the way. And they don't need to know the way. They just need to let you who do know the way drive you there. What will happen to me if I obey God? What if he asked me to do something crazy, like build an ark on dry land to prepare for rain and a flood, which I've never seen, and that's not going to happen for decades? Are you going to have every animal as your set of passages? I mean, are you going to obey that? What if he asks you to do that? Well, what if he says, listen, I want you to get up, leave your family. I want you to go to a faraway place that I'm going to show you. You don't know it, like Abraham. He says, what if I call you to a crazy service? I want you to take a few million Jews out of the hands of this Egyptian guy, go through the desert with no water, no food, and no weapons, 
and just do it. Like, okay, you're just reading the stories of the heroes of faith in chapter 11. Can you see that it, this group of people who had the audacity, audacity to put God's will above their own, what was their result? Was it destruction? Did they end up in a worse state than when they started? Could they have chosen something better for themselves? What benefit they had by saying this? Not my will, but thy will be done. So how do we get to this level of saying thy will, not my will? One of them that the fathers talk about is complete distrust of self. The beginning of salvation consists in rejecting your own will and understanding and doing the will of God. What were the conditions that Christ gave the Father on that night? He says, thy will be done if what? Thy will be done... There, There actually is one little condition. Thy will be done if I don't do my will. Not my will. And thy will be done. Oftentimes we skip to the, okay, I'll do it if. Christ says, it's not my will. Your will is all that matters. For those of you who have kids, and kids, you're holding their hands, and they let go of your hand. You say, don't. But then they fall, and they get hurt. It doesn't take long before they realize, I can't, I can't walk on my own. I'm not in control. I know I want to, but I can't. I know I think I can, but I can't. I'm afraid to let someone else take control. Either way, you can't. The fathers often say, don't trust yourself this side of the grave. The problem is we trust ourselves way too much, knowing that I'm weak and prone to sin and mistakes. And I've fallen over and over and over. The second thing is to have a greater trust in God's providence. Pope Carlos, I trust that God sees you. He hears you and feels for you. So your little matters are very big. Like he cares that much. They're big before his love. And your big matters are very small before his mind. There's actually nothing you could present to him. He's like, oh no, not that thing. He's not going to jump at anything you say. They say we have to totally rely that God is provident. He's in charge. He's watching. He's everywhere. He can do anything. Remember, thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, and the majesty for how long? Kind of forever. But if you never trust in God, his plans for you are good. They're actually for your salvation. That's his plan. He wants to strengthen you. So why don't we let God be God? Because that's what God is. He's the one we worship. You consider God to be great and mighty and powerful. To not trust that is to lack faith. And to lack faith is what? The Bible says, if you don't have faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. There's another thing. The disciples on that last night, when Christ was asking them to pray with him, and he was saying, Thy will be done, he was hoping. And then he, in his kindness, he says, I see your spirit is willing. 
the reason why you're not is because your flesh is weak. Sometimes you do have the, the willingness, I, want, I really want to do, but I don't push myself. I don't have enough fight in me. We don't have grit. It's amazing what we are willing to fight for and fight against and what we're not willing to fight for and what we're not willing to fight against. And sometimes you can push yourself to extreme measures to get and accomplish what you want. But oftentimes we won't push ourselves to extreme measures to accomplish what God wants. Especially when it comes to prayer, fasting, waking up for church, refraining from spending money carelessly, worrying about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat on Saturday night. One of the other things is we don't push our flesh enough, but one of the things that we need to do is realize... Oh, I didn't put it here. Make your decision beforehand. To follow God's will, you have to make your decision beforehand. You make the decision now. Don't wait till you are in the situation of extreme temptation or anxiety or fear. You're getting negative vibes from everyone around you. And that's when you make your decision to follow. Do I follow? No, you're not going to. Don't wait till you're in the moment of weaknesses or emotional lows or highs to make the decision. Do it from now. Christ, in one of the Gospels today, in John 12, this was right after Sunday, Palm Sunday, he says, should I ask you to deliver me from this hour? He says, but I've come for this hour. But that was like right after Lazarus which is like yesterday, today. But the hour was like, he already knew. He's like, I'm here for this hour. When was the last time you just made a conviction that, you know what, I'm going to prepare myself, that I'm going to try to choose God's will. That's it. It's not about me. Christ made a decision when he left the heavens to take our form. He knew the will of the Father. He knew the prophecies. He knew what the disciples, he told the disciples over and over and over. He didn't waver once. He just said, I'm going to choose God's will. He made that decision beforehand. I wonder how many of us have already made that conviction in our families, in our lives, that I will follow God's will. The next thing the Bible actually gives us amazing things to pray. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. In Colossians 1.9, by the way, for those of you that are looking for a daily prayer, I think Colossians 1.9 has the, one of the best prayers from 9 to 11. But, but St. Paul is telling them, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we don't cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then this verse, I just, it just hit me yesterday. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, which we're celebrating this week, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do what? To do His will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Last thing. Look unto Jesus. Why did Jesus do it? It says, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 
the joy of pleasing the Father. The joy of saving you. The joy of making God the Father happy was enough for Him to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Do it for God's pleasure. Do it to make God happy. I yield unto you the freedom of my will. Say it every day. Say it every day until when? Say, not my will, thy will be done. Say it every day until when? Until you can say with Christ the sweetest words, it is finished. What beauty is there in that? I will say, not my will, but thy will be done until it is finished, my last breath. May God be glorified in your lives. And when you say, you know you have to say to our Father really fast, at least once, just stop. Don't say the whole prayer. Just that time where you get to meditate, say, not my will, thy will be done. May you have a blessed Holy Week. Can't wait to see you every year.